Rock and Roll Shinsu Chu, the podcast about baseball and rock and roll. My name is Gabe Estel, and I'm here with my co-host, Jonathan Getz and Dennis Levi-Leach. How's it going, guys? Going Wonderful. great. Good. And we have a very special guest today, um, Mrs. Kalix Stamp. She is calling us from East Hampton, New York, and uh, she is the, uh, the wife of uh, former legendary uh, manager of The Who, uh, Calix, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, and thank you for introducing me as the wife, the eternal bride, even though my beautiful husband, Chris Stamp, uh, transitioned to spirit three years ago. Uh, his legend lives on beautifully. Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, we're going to talk about uh, we're going to talk about Chris as well as uh, the documentary movie, and then maybe some stories that you have as well. Um, why, don't, sure. why don't Why don't we start off with uh, how did you meet Chris? I met Chris in New York City in 1979 through mutual friends. And he was, you know, he had um, kind of moved to the city. And I just fell in love with him the first time I saw him. What can I say? <laughs> well, was, uh, was Chris managing LaBelle at the time, I believe? No, track okay. record. Um, yes, uh, not at, at the time. I'm not so sure about the dates. Track records were completely transforming Patti LaBelle and the Bluebells image. So that's Patti LaBelle, Nona uh-huh. Hendricks, and Sarah Dash. Yeah. Those fabulous ladies who are still rocking. Oh, yeah. Today Great in amazing In amazing ways. And Kit and Chris were completely transforming their images and, you know, changing their look, changing the sound, invested a lot of time in the recording studio. And their very, very dear friend, uh, Vicky Wickham, who was the producer at Ready, Steady, Go, who's a grand dame of rock and roll, um, said to Chris at one point, hey, what's going to happen to the girls? You're going on tour with the Who, and you're not going to be here for two months. And Chris said to Vicky, oh, Vicky, you manage them. And Vicky did a sensational job, and like, you know, three weeks later, they had a mega hit. They were like, you know, oh, wow. Um, very successful. So that's the story of Patti LaBelle and the Bluebells on, on track record. And, and, you know, everybody has stayed really good friends and connected ever since. Wow, that's great. The oh, thing about Kit and Chris is they were real visionaries and they were not clingy or hoarding groups or acts. They really wanted everyone to fly to the moon and back and have their wings. So they were great about, you know, letting people go. The, the Rolling Stones had asked them to manage them, and they felt it was a conflict with the Who. So they just love seeing people reach their optimum potential. Oh yeah, well, and that—that's the—that's the mark of a great manager too. Yes, yes, and it was—it was visionary at the time. You know, Kit, Kit and Chris had the first independent record label, Track Record, and they actually—you see in the film Lambert and Stamp that. There's a beautiful visual of Chris Kitt and Jimi Hendrix meeting in a club, and they're trying to, they love him. They fell in love with his music, with the man, and they're trying to say, you know, do you have a manager? Yes. Do you have a producer? Yes. Do you have, you know, and they said, do you have a record deal? And he said, no. I said, would you like to be on our record deal? And he said, yes. And they didn't have a record deal, but the next <laughs> day they found a track record to give Jimi <laughs> Hendrix his first ever record deal. Oh, yeah. Hey. So, you know, it was very spontaneous in those days, right? Well, and very, very entrepreneurial of them. Yes, yes. You didn't have a team of lawyers and accountants weighing the pros and cons. You just did things and whether it was, you know. Yeah, absolutely. It was just a different time, a different time. But I just love the spirit 
of manifesting things to to keep the creativity going. Yeah, and it sounds like um, Calix, uh that that Chris always wanted to the bands to be as creative as possible, whether or not it it happened to be successful or not. I mean, yes. it turned out turned out that it was with something like mm-hmm. Tommy and Quadrophenia, but it sounds like he yes. really encouraged them to take chances. Totally. They were not invested in um, the commercial rewards. Sure, they were happy when those came, uh, but it was really about pure expression. Also, when this was working class, and in England, the class system rigid. And him and his older brother, Terence, who's a movie actor and an author, broke um, the class system. They literally were part of the working class heroes. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so they were, you know, they loved being um, the cosmic revolutionaries who transcended all limitations, whether, whether real or perceived, through art, creativity, film, vision. Yeah. So it was about that more than, you know, how well is it going to do and... It was about spreading the message, really. That's what Chris would say. He said it was about spreading the message. Yeah, and to take those chances with, uh, to do something like Tommy uh, back when they did, you know, it's hard to imagine something something that ambitious coming out today. It was revolutionary, Tommy, and that also has a lot to do with Pete being an enlightened genius on some level. Um, to to because Pete had the courage to expose some of his history of abuse, of bullying, of trauma. Sure. And in those days, you know, today, I mean, I'm a trauma repair specialist as well as a healer and many other things. But in those days, he didn't really talk about trauma and trauma repair and and neurobiology. You know, um, it was still a very obscure uh, topic. So Tommy really talks about the impact of trauma, of war of what happens during a war. You know, there's no right or wrong. People leave, people die, people get remarried, people get found out. Uh, it, yeah, it was a really enlightened piece. And, and that Kit and Chris supported it so much, and Kit brought so much of his own composer background to it. I think it was a crucible, Tommy, where the six of them really, you know, co-created a masterpiece, the first rock opera. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think he gave them the ability to... Uh... You know, he he said to them, like, it was okay to dive that deep into your emotions for your art. Exactly. Exactly. And actually, Chris continued to do that as a healer and as a phenomenal psychodramatist um, in his, you know, the latter part of his life to really help people connect with spontaneity and their emotions and not judge them and just own them. Yeah. And so he he did a lot of that uh, in relation to helping people with substance abuse. Is that correct? He did that. I mean, you know, um, Chris got so clean and sober in 1987. We actually both did. So he he left this world as a sober man, 25 years sober man. So he was very dedicated to helping others transform themselves. And, you know, moving beyond just recovery, uh, it became a spiritual quest. It became uh, the understanding that, you know, we all are vehicles of love and and to help. And he did um, he did amazing things. He became a Reiki master. He became a, he went back he went to college. He had never been to college in his life. He got degrees. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and he just believed in helping people open their hearts. Yeah, really, a, a second life almost. You know, totally a rebirth. Um, yeah. yeah, a rebirth. Well, and the common thread to it all it, it was helping people. 
Yes, and, and helping manifest the essence of what is, you know, without sound, yeah. wanting to sound too esoteric. Um, if your essence is to scream, scream. If your essence is to, you know, uh, talk about abuse and trauma, do it, you know. So it was about the authentic expression of things, yeah. And you seem to be carrying this on through uh, your current social media on uh, Twitter and Instagram. <laughs> you know, I try. I have to confess I was terrified of social media. I didn't understand it. I'm 58. I was like, oh, my God. And I'm a pretty daring person. And uh, when the film came out, that is such a tribute and a legacy, Lambert and Stamp, and uh, I was just so honored uh, in the way it was done. You know, it was financed with private equity, which meant they could retain the artistic integrity of the film. So I thought, okay, I'm going to get on Twitter for Lambert and Stamp. So that was my, you know, my, my way in. Yeah. And then I thought, and then my granddaughters got me on Instagram. They said, you have to get on Instagram. And, and they said to me, my granddaughters, they said, what matters to you? And I said, soul, and what else? Love and spirit. So that became my Instagram name, spirit, soul, love. And then I thought, okay, I'm going to use social media to be a vehicle of light and love and healing. I'm not going to do politics. I'm not going to do religion. I'm not going to do the grumpy stuff. That's fine. People want to do it. It's fine. I'm just going to try to, to align that that path for me. And, you know, I found so much light and love and beauty uh, on social media. And I found you guys. I found people who love vinyl. I love vinyl, you know. <laughs> yeah. so, so we're talking because, you know, we, yeah. we connected on Instagram. So I have to say, I, I, I really, and as a healer, it's such a great reminder that people say, oh, there's a lot of darkness in social media. Well, you know, guess what? There's light and darkness in all things. And it's up to us to choose what we want to tap in. Yeah, well, uh, absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about the Lambert Stamp movie. Um, What was it like to finally see something that had taken so long to get made? If I'm right, like 10 years. 10 years, absolutely. Yeah, what was it like to see that come to fruition? Well, it was was very interesting because um, the movie came out after Chris died. So, um, in a way, it was wonderful and difficult but wonderful mostly to have this extraordinary piece of work it took 10 years um a lot to do with many things but because of the the private equity financing and don't forget it was made during 08 when a lot of things Uh, crumbled financially uh also because you know chris adored the director james cooper and adored the producer loretta harms and trusted them chris had been asked to do things like that for years but he trusted that they would hold the vision. And he said to them, put in everything that everybody says. Don't make it nicey-nice. Just let's be, get, be real. Put all perspectives, you know. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't, like, micromanaging the film at all. But it also, you know, because of his support and involvement, it opened doors with Roger and Pete, and they got material that had never been released or seen. Uh, it opened doors that may not have been opened otherwise. And it was held with a lot of sacredness. And um, and also, you know, we had the, the editor, Christopher Tellison, who's a brilliant film editor who was nominated for an Oscar for Moneyball, who edited uh, Capote. Um, oh, wow. He, he fell in love with the project, but he was very busy editing films. So he edited the film over a period of like four years when he was free, you know. <laughs> so there was a lot of that going on. And... Um, 
And so to answer your question, when I saw it, I saw it for the first time at Sundance, at the Sundance Film Festival in 2014, I think January 2014. It was spectacular. And the interesting thing is that it was an absolute critical acclaim um, across the board, America, Europe. Um, yeah, sure, there's been like three negative reviews on you know Twitter, but basically, <laughs> if you look at the voice, if you go to Lambert and LambertStampMovie.com, you read all the reviews, it's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And that's when I realized, because the film is really in the end about love, it touches people's hearts. It's not about who did what to whom, it's about love. That's how I see it. Um, passion, the passion for whatever, music, people, synergy. Um, so it's been an amazing experience. And for me, on a personal level, it helped me move my grief from a personal level to a collective level. Ah. It's like Chris was suddenly sent out to the universe and was celebrated in a, in a different dimension. And, you know, the film was on, on airplanes. People would see it while flying, you know. So it was really like a takeoff of him yeah. and also helped me move my grief. Hmm. Well, yeah, it, it, I absolutely, if you're into The Who at all, you absolutely need to watch the movie. It's excellent to all the viewers yes. out there. Yeah. Yes, thank you for saying that it is. And I think if you're into human transformation and, and expression and hope, you know, yeah, mm-hmm. it's a movie to watch. Yeah. And absolutely. your son agrees. Yeah, he does. He's, he's <laughs> raving about it right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um. Thank you. Yeah, you've got you've got a fan here that you've never met. Fabulous, um, bless him. <laughs> uh, if I could ask, um, you know, I I've been now Levi introduced me to your accounts. I've been you know uh, following you on 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 Twitter and Instagram. Oh, um, what is your name? Uh, my name is just it's at uh, Chew Host Gabe. That's what oh, I do. Okay, yeah. so if I do that, I'll find you on, You'll on find Twitter. It. Yeah, okay. it's connected to the podcast. Um, okay. But I, I, I want to say, I, I think some of the garments that you wear are just, just really gorgeous. Um, what, what, are, what are some of your inspirations um, for your fashion? Uh, um, uh, okay. Well, yeah. first of all, I don't follow fashion. Okay. Um, I, I, I've always liked glitter and sparkle. I just like Janis Joplin when I was in high school, which got me mm-hmm. a ton of trouble, but my good <laughs> grades got me out of trouble. Um the fashion, I, the, the clothes I wear mostly is by my dear, dear, beloved friend, Amy Zerner, okay. who is based in East Hampton. Her and her husband, Monty Farber, um, are artists, and he's a psychic. They do tarot cards. But she's a fabric collage artist. She has a collection that, you know, Bergdorf. But basically, enough of the details like that. She, she does what's called goddess couture. She does collages, fabric collages, and each piece is a unique item. So I fell in love with her work, and, you know, I, I, I'm not a fashionista. Instead of buying a Prada bag, I buy crystals. <laughs> and, um, and in terms of wearing, I'd rather buy one thing that I totally love. So I live in her clothes, and she makes custom-made things for me. And, you know, otherwise it's leggings and a T-shirt and a Amy Zerner coat. It depends, but... Um, this is my, my home base is Amy Zerner because she understands the individual goddess, shamanic, healer energy in us all and, and how to, to create that. And basically, to tell the truth, I wear, I wear it because I love it. 
can feel sure. good because you know. So I'm so glad you know this because I I really love I love what she does. And she has they just opened a little store in East Hampton called the Enchanted World. Okay. Nice. Amy so, Zerner. There yeah. you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, a wonderful lady. And and actually Monty, who's a psychic, was a musician. Uh, played in bands, a very interesting person, and he also... I was going to say his name sounded really familiar when you said it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so uh, he, you know, he does radio shows, he's, he's a wonderful guy, um, and really knows his music. Excellent. Well, could you tell us a little bit about the music scene in New York when you got there? Like, what, what, what did you experience... The music, I moved to New York from Europe in 1976. Okay. However, I was raised, you know, I was raised in Switzerland, born in Austria, but basically I was raised by a father who loved blues, jazz, who would play boogie-woogie in my room at 3 o'clock in the morning, took me to see <laughs> Ray Charles when I was 10, took me to the Montreux Jazz Festival. So I oh, wow. had a really fabulous oh. early, early life music exposure. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I wouldn't eat at school so I could buy a record, right? So we huh. would buy the latest U.S. or British import, you know, because um, French music between... Okay, let's not be critical, but, you know, I didn't resonate to French music too much. Yeah. Now, now some, you know, old ballady things, yeah. So, But, you know, it was the U.S. and England that really rocked our boats. Um, so so I had a lot of blues, jazz, rock um you know, experience and my vinyls and and love for for this music. And then I came to New York, and I spent my life at the Blue Note and you know all those the Village Vanguard, all those yeah. things. I mean, I, I mean, it was just you had so many amazing concerts. So you know, anybody from Lou Reed to also when I was young, um, my boyfriend was friendly with Keith Richards. So I used to go see the Stones a lot. But when I came to New York, it was a very interesting scene because there was the disco era in 1976, mm-hmm. so Studio 54 <coughs> and all that, and disco was you know, good dance music. To me, energetically, never had the heart and soul connection as strongly, but whatever, had its purpose. And then there was CBGBs. Then there was the yeah. whole punk... Yeah. So I used to go to CBGBs, and you know, you you'd see all sorts of acts, um, you know, known and unknown who will to become known. And also, don't forget that Chris's I think Chris's last production uh, in music was um, Johnny Thunders. He did Chinese Rocks and Born to Lose. He produced those two tracks. Wow! Oh, wow! Yeah. So so it was a mixed bag, and because my taste in music had always been very diversified, you know, which is how I live and breathe and think. It's like I'm not married to any method or anything. I love exploring all things and see how they resonate. Um, I I basically did the same thing in New York that I'd done my whole life, which is explore all sorts of music from punk to rock to country, you know. I used to love Dolly Parton, you know, so I oh, yeah. On my Twitter account the other day, I was actually taking a track vinyl album out to photograph, uh-huh. now that I'm, you know, doing all the uh-huh. social media, and a photograph of Dolly Parton and Angie Bowie came out, flying out of the sleeve. <laughs> <laughs> so I took a photo of it and posted it. Yeah. <laughs> on my <awesome>. Twitter. 
so so anyway so yeah so it was very eclectic the music scene so you know I was in college I went to the school of mystical sciences I went to studio 54 I went to CBGB you know it was a real New York momentum I mean New York was just a dream of diversity and, and experiences musical and otherwise oh I used to go to the cotton club Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um yeah, so so I don't really a, know what a, the scene was, but I can tell you I was hanging out in lots of different scenes. Well yeah, and that's that's <laughs> it's such a great melting pot for music. Yeah, it is. It is. So um so there you go. That was that's what I did. And you've been able to take advantage uh of you know, some some of the great stuff that comes through town. I I, I think I saw a photo of you uh, going to the that Pink Floyd uh, premiere. Oh yeah, Roger Waters' film, the the Wall. Yes, yes, yes I love Roger Waters. I love the Pink Floyd. Uh, yes, that was phenomenal. And yes, and yes, I've been very privileged to have access to some amazing shows in in very nice, comfortable ways. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, but it's just great that it even comes. You know, you're able to catch that in New York. Uh, we don't we don't get quite as much of that here in Kansas City. Um. <laughs> well, you, you still have some great music that came from Kansas. Oh, oh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely, yeah. yeah. I won't complain about that. Not but you don't all. have as much shows, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, even uh, it looks like you you caught Brian Wilson back uh, in '03 or '04. Yes, we went to see Brian Wilson with Roger, Heather, some of his kids, and Chris in London, and and got to meet him, and was so honored. Um, you know, just love Brian Wilson. Oh yeah, it's the like Beach a, Boys. Yeah, the Beach Boys, right? They were so great. Um, yeah. What was what was like Brian Wilson concert like? I've never seen Brian Wilson. It was extraordinary. Yeah. It was it was musically phenomenal, and you know I see also as, as a healer I see Brian Wilson. I see a lot of singers as you know they're very shamanic. They channel sounds and yeah. tones and. And, uh, yeah, it was a beautiful concert. I was very moved. So was Chris. Um, and Chris was very moved to, to meet him again. And um, there was something very touching, you know. Because I think he was struggling with some medical issue or whatever. But it was just, he was like, he was like the pure essence of, of a child in some ways, you know. Very sweet. Yeah, yeah, no, I can understand that. And actually, we're lucky. Yeah. He's he's going to be coming through town uh, on, I think it's his last tour of Pet Sounds is what it's billed as. So Great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Great. And are you excited about the, uh, uh, I guess, the continuation of the Who's 50th anniversary? I'm excited, and as someone who loves Roger very much, I hope that... Um... I hope that he doesn't push himself too much. I know I have a bit of a protective. Yes, of course I'm excited. And, you know, I, I my heart went out to him with the viral meningitis. That was, that was a tough journey. And Roger being Roger, he's a transformer. He's an optimistic healer himself. And he, you know, he, he, he healed it. So, yes, of course I'm excited. And, um, yeah, yeah, they had to cancel their uh, Kansas City date or delay it a couple yeah. times, and so my my wife and I, yeah. my wife is a is a is a giant Who fan, and and uh, so we were uh, we were disappointed though. We're patient, so we're we're excited for uh, uh, for them back, to finally right. make it around. 
um, uh, in uh, April, I think. So great. Yeah, yeah. Great. That's right. I think they're in New York in March, March third or something. Oh, they are. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, of course I'm excited. An amazing band still, Pete and Roger, and the whole team, and the musical director is phenomenal. And yeah, they're they're an amazing band. What can I say? Oh, Could absolutely, you... and and hugely important for for all of us. Yeah, yeah, me too. I mean, my teenage years. I mean, Tommy saved my life. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah. And also helping teenagers negotiate rebellion and having a voice, you know. It gave words to feelings that were, you know, not so clear sometimes as a teenager. Yeah, exactly. You know? They were great at conveying that um, that teenage angst. They were they were one of the first bands that could could put it into their art successfully. Yes, 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 absolutely. This is um a little bit off off music topic but okay. we know um what was it like working with Christo Oh working with Christo was phenomenal him and his wife Jean Claude uh -huh. um are an amazing team of really um producing everything and anything you know the art their projects and each project was the same thing. It cost them everything they had and everything they could borrow. They never accepted sponsorship, so they would sell a lot of the original artwork. But they taught me an incredible amount. I mean, I always had a good producer side, but, you know, from shipping, creating, making catalogs, I mean, that Krista would do that, but proofreading every article around the world that was written and not, not checking the content, but checking the facts and... Hmm. Just the vision and the openness, and actually reminding me a lot of Chris, you know, that that open-minded vision, you know, to, and Crystal would always say, you know, people say, why, why do you spend 20 years doing a project and then it's only up for two weeks? He said, because it's like childhood, it's precious because it's short-lasting. If the project was there for a year, people would get used to it, they wouldn't even notice it. You know, there's something about the short-lived nature of things, the impermanence of things. And um, it was an extraordinary experience. That's why I posted that photo of me on top of the Reichstag, because I also worked on the Umbrellas Project in California and Japan. Um, yeah, oh, you did? Oh, wow. Yeah, it was spectacular. So, you know, I would work in that um, building in New York, and sometimes they'd leave and they'd travel to Japan, and they'd let me deal with this and that and the press and the photos and the calls and the shipping. You know, it was like they... It gave me huge responsibility. Well, yeah, it's like a, a production boot camp. Yeah, exactly. It was it was amazing. You know, better than any PhDs in any university. <laughs> it was amazing. So I'm always very grateful to them, and I love Christo, and he he lost his soulmate too, and he yeah, continues. Amazing, you know, amazing stuff they they were able to accomplish. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think they did a project in Kansas City, actually, wrapped 12 ways. They did, yeah, and it's yeah. a it was at Loose Park in 1978, and uh, right. it's it's where I go play uh, it's where I go play catch in Loose wow. Park. So yeah, there yeah, it was go. cool. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, amazing people. Bless them often. 
See, I knew we would work baseball into this conversation somehow. So. <laughs> <laughs> have, have you ever been to a Yankees or a Mets game up there in New York? No, never. But Chris used to love baseball. And Did he? he taught me how to understand baseball. <laughs> so, um, and he always rooted for the underdog. You know? <laughs> right on. <laughs> <laughs> that was Chris. And uh, so, so, yeah, so I have fondness for baseball. Well, I, I just wanted to share with everybody uh, all of uh, Kalik's uh, social media information as well as how they can find out yeah. about the documentary, too. Um, you can follow Kalik's on uh, Twitter at Kalik's, that's C-A-L-I-X-T-E stamp, at Kalik's stamp on Twitter. And then on Instagram, uh, she is at Spirit Soul Love. That's a nice, easy one to remember. So you can follow her on Instagram, uh, posting always posting beautiful images. So uh, thank her for that. And then also you can find out about the Lambert and Stamp documentary at LambertStampMovie.com. You can you can you can order it there and uh, tell all your friends about it. Definitely. And you know, I clicks. I don't know if you know him. Maybe this reference falls flat i'm not sure i was I, before i i knew much about him i was looking at these old pictures of chris and do you know who paul weller is he brings it he's he was in a he was a british uh musician from the jam i thought it was paul weller listen chris is a very good looking guy and so was paul weller so i <laughs> wow. i was for a second i was <laughs> well, maybe so I, I, it's a shape-shifting moment <laughs> yeah. So anyway, if that reference falls flat on anybody, I apologize. I just no, I saw the no. photos and I'm like, wait a minute, that looks like Paul Weller. Yeah, oh, that's <laughs> funny. I also want to add that uh, the Lambert and Stamp film has an Instagram account called oh. Lambert Stamp Movie. Okay, so at Lambert Stamp Movie. Okay. Yeah, and yeah. it also has um, a Twitter account. Uh huh. Um, and you can hold on. Of course, my memory is fading. Okay, the Twitter is Lambert Stamp Mov, M-O-V. Okay, <laughs> great. Right, Excellent. so, um, and it's on Amazon, iTunes, um, Netflix is showing it. It's two hours, and it's fantastic. Yeah, That's like I said, if even if you like The Who just a little bit, I think there's something that you, you know, you will enjoy the movie immensely. Yeah. Yeah, and I would love to have all of your Instagram, Twitter accounts so I can follow you. If you can email oh, okay. that to me. Or yeah, yeah, we can do that. Absolutely. 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 Yeah. And we will share yours with uh, with our listeners, too, sure. on our website. So, yeah, we'll spread the word about Clixed as well as this wonderful documentary and uh, the work of her, her talented husband. So, Clixed, thank you so much for talking to us this morning. We really appreciate it. Thank you. It was really fun and lovely to, to be with fellow music lovers. And also, can you send me the link for your show website so I can post it? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, we, we definitely will do that. Thank you so much. Okay, thanks a lot, everybody. Have thanks. a beautiful huh? Sunday. Bye-bye. Okay, you bye-bye. too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, and we also want to thank our lovely guest, Kalik Stamp. Um, check out the documentary Lambert Stamp Movie. Also, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Rock in chew that's rock as in come on fill the noise in um so you can check us out at rock in chew uh as well as you can find out everything you need to know about rock and chew as well as previous episodes uh cool links things we've discussed on the podcast all comprehensively you can find those on rock chew 
com. So until next time, I will see you guys later. Have a good night, everybody. Peace.